It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 224, Daniel's Intercession and the End of the Exile. After Daniel's experience in the lion's den, healing grows in favor in the court of the Persians. He's well-loved and respected, and his enemies are all dead. Everyone fears him, and he's free to do as he pleases, just like in Babylon. One of his assignments that has been ongoing is the transcribing of the words of God to date the compilation of the majority of the Old Testament. In tradition holds, he has 120 scribes, and one of them, and one of the most prodigious of them, was a man known as Ezra. More to follow on him and others. Daniel also appoints new leaders inside the Persian government. His appointees are those that come after are notable figures like Mordecai and Nehemiah. These men will have great favor because of God's influence on Daniel. And Daniel will make sure the most talented of his countrymen have positions of influence in the government of the Persians. Now we're approaching the end of the 70-year time period of exile prophesied by Jeremiah. And what's interesting is that the time has arrived in the spirit for this 70 years to come to an end. And Daniel knows this, and he ups his prayers. The devil knows this too, and it is no wonder he tried to take Daniel out in the lion's den. The devil always overplays his hand. He overplays it so much, he sometimes reveals things in the spirit that we're not aware of, like ancient prophecies that he's watching to prevent their resolution and their fulfillment. And also, he can forecast a godly destiny over a person, and he comes against it by simply looking at the person, their gifts, their talents, abilities, dreams, words spoken over them, and then he comes against them because he fears them and what God will use them to do. He can forecast the pain this person is going to cause him, and he'll go after them when they're young, like in the case of Cyrus. The devil always overplays his hand, and just prior to this amazing moment of intercession with Daniel, he tried to take him out, and he failed. Now, Daniel knows the 70-year time period is approaching and documents his prayer. It's an absolute model of citywide, nationwide repentance. If my people call by my name type prayers. Consider the place where he's praying from. His title, his position, his authority. And then consider now he's praying with such fervor and tenacity to stand in the gap for the entirety of his people. This is our calling. And no matter what place or location or assignment you have in the marketplace, business, education, home, This is a model for how to pray to reverse any exile that you're living in your life. And not to make too many lists, but let's do this in this case, just so we can understand this model. Daniel 9. In the first year of Darius, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Timing and consequences. So this is something. Daniel knew his Bible. You know, 
He knew the written words of God. He knew the prophecies well enough to understand his time and his age. He prepared himself in sackcloth and ashes and designated a fast because the time was now. It didn't say his own nation fasted. It says he did. And something interesting here is that there was three dates and times when the exile could have actually started. And the 70-year time period could have, could have started within, you know, was it the first time it was taken or the second or the third? But Daniel chooses the earliest time period. And when you're going to go for it in prayer, ask God to fulfill the best case scenario. And before we continue with Daniel's prayer, let's rewind and restate the Jeremiah prophecy about the 70 years. Jeremiah 15, 8. Therefore the Lord Almighty says this, Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land, its inhabitants, against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the sounds of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon seventy years. But when the seventy years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it a desolate forever. I will bring on that land all the things I have spoken against it, all that are written in this book and prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations. They themselves will be enslaved by many nations and great kings. I will pay them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. Now that's the prophecy um, that Daniel knows has been fulfilled. Seventy years is up. Now the people shall be set free. And in a way, the Babylonians judged. They've actually already been judged. The Persians now rule their empire. It's time for the people to be free. It's been 70 years. Daniel 9, 4. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to your kings, our princes, and our ancestors, to all the people of the land. Number two, confession. Daniel recognized the inequity of his people, and he confessed it. In summary so far, number one, he recognized the timing and consequences. And number two, confession. Daniel recognizes the inequity of his people and confesses it. Daniel 9, 7. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through the servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Number three, judgment. Daniel states the judgment they are under, namely going as far back as Solomon, who declared if they didn't serve God, they'd be sent far away. Daniel 9.11 Therefore the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing us on us this great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like this. That's been done to Jerusalem. 
Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Number four, forgiveness and mercy. And this is where Daniel's headed. Daniel summarizes everything here and rolls up a request of heaven to forgive them. He starts by speaking to the power of God in Egypt, and he starts his request with now. And he will say it twice to speak to the urgency and proper timing into play here. And also, I can't help but note of one of the lines, under the whole of heaven, nothing has ever been done like this that's been done to Jerusalem. This is a weighty statement. It could only imply the sadness of having God's footstool on earth ravished by his enemy and destroyed the way it was. For the devil and the minions make a mockery of God's own holy place. Under the whole of heaven, nothing like it's ever been done. All the more reason for the restoration to speak more to the promises of God. Daniel 9.15 Now, Lord our God, who has brought your people out of Egypt with the mighty hand, who made for yourself a name that endures to this day. We have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away from your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and inequities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make request of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. In summary, Daniel prayed what a king should have prayed, and what a priest should have prayed. He modeled New Testament prayer, for we are a royal priesthood of God, playing the role of priest and king, yet also speaking the things that are not like a prophet. It's a dynamic role of a New Testament believer. Jesus gave his gifts to the church, but we see them in everyone sometimes within a single day. An evangelist on the street, a teacher at church, a prophet through prayer, apostolic and pastoral with our children and our legacy— a dynamic Christian life. Don't give us a label. Don't give Daniel a label. He didn't want one. It's too limiting. Call Daniel the Grand Vizier of the Persian Empire, but he'd rather be called the head of the Magi or the intercessor of his people. Daniel outlived the kings around him because he was one in his own right. His crowning achievement near the end of his life is this prayer that we see that ends the exile. Seventy years covered. The seventy-year exile literally covered. He was, he was the man in exile for seventy years. His, his early childhood was in Israel, and then the next seventy years, he was the, the man who was in the place of authority in the Babylonian Empire and the Persian Empire covering this time period of the exile. He symbolized as well, though, the blessings of the exile. Um, As horrible as it was, the destruction of Jerusalem, God's hand was on their people in exile. Eighty-plus-year-old Daniel fulfilled his destiny until the very end. 
His prayer model here was quite simple, but what he took on was not. What he did was stand in the gap for the entirety of his nation, asking for forgiveness for the entirety of his people. Yet in its simplest form, here's what he prayed. The current state of things, the the consequences, confession, judgment, and mercy. I mean, model it for yourself. Call it your homework. You see something out of place, something that seems very like there's a consequence in motion, there's an exile, there's a judgment that's in place in your life, your family, your city. Tell God the obvious. Confess to him any sin committed related to this problem. Declare how the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And call upon him to deliver you and have mercy. It's not a complicated model. It's simple. And whatever is around you and out of place, repent on behalf of those around you. Jesus told the cripple his sins were forgiven. And he didn't even ask him to be forgiven. Who you forgive, I forgive. Daniel repented for the sins of millions of his people, and God heard his prayers. This is the most amazing part about his prayer. There was no Old Testament sacrifices, but the innocent, devoted lover of God who repented for them, and God heard his prayers. I mean, Daniel very much tapped into a New Testament faith model. Um, he, He very much so looked like David um, accessing um, heaven's blessings um, and God's presence in a time even of the Old Testament. There are no sacrifices going on. But Daniel still prayed these prayers that a priest would have prayed, but he didn't have the sacrifices. It's absolutely amazing that he was able to go to that place of God's throne in prayer almost like David did, um, to cover and ask for blessings from his people, though he didn't have the um, facilities, let's say, or the, uh, the traditions of the Levitical priesthood in motion. But God didn't really care. He did what he did um, because he found a man who was truly committed to him. And on top of it all, Daniel, in answer to his prayer, he gets visited by an angel immediately um, upon this, this final word of his prayer. And I love this quote by Calvin. Nothing, therefore, can be better for us than to ask for what has already been promised. If God has promised it, in faith it will happen, and mercy is already promised. It's part of the character of God, and he never denies heartfelt repentance. Here is Daniel's wild answer to his prayer. Daniel 9, 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man that I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to you to give you insight and understanding. And as soon as you begin to pray... A word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. And therefore, consider the word and the understanding of this vision. 
Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy place. No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem under the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seventy-sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble... After sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler will come, and they'll destroy the city and sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolation has been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many one seven. And in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So, yes, that was the answer to his prayer. And Gabriel came to deliver some encrypted, you know, enigma, heavenly enigma machine coded answer for, for Daniel. Um, I don't really know, like, how what Daniel does in answer to this. And I, I'm from the responses he has to so many of his revelations. He, he would just, immediately when the angel came, he would be incapacitated. And the angel would basically touch him and give him strength, you know, you know, peace upon you. And he stands up and he seems to be okay for a bit. And he has a conversation and then he gets another message he doesn't understand. And it's kind of this cycle for Daniel. And then he, then he sees a heavenly war and thousands of people dying and, and the end of the age and all these things. And, he, and it's, many times it'll say he, and he fasted for weeks, and he was appalled, and he lacked understanding. And in this case, I'm just guessing Daniel just was clueless, like most of us are, about all these sevens. Um, and he just wrote it down. He's just like, I don't know what to do. You know, <laughs> you know, like, that was amazing. Lord, forgive us. We really want to be out of exile. I don't even know what to do with da- Gabriel that just visited me, um, but I'll write it down for future generations. I pulled all types of sources uh, to try to figure out what what this means. There are a good number of people who've really researched this. Um, they did chronological dating. I mean, for the for the history junkie, this is actually pretty fascinating. It, it's such that measure and confirmation that God is really above time, or He sees it beyond our perspective, um, and He knows the future. Um, it, it is encrypted. Um, you know, Holy Spirit, Enigma machine type. I don't know how you figure this thing out. Um, but someone someone has a, um, let's call it a, a feasible, workable um, understanding of how this could actually make sense and it actually confirms the gospel more. Um, so I pulled from all sorts of resources. And there seems to be a guy that's referenced a lot by most people who teach on this. And generally speaking, symbolically, a seven represents a week, seven days. Or in the case of prophetically, it represents seven years. Seven sevens, 49 years. 62 sevens is 62 times seven. And there's a man who references the most about this, and he goes down to the days and the references and the exact amount of days between the end of the exile and the arrival of Jesus. Um, his name's Sir Robert Anderson, and he wrote a book called The Coming Prince. 
I'm going to pull from David Guzik's summary of his work because I don't even want to try to summarize Sir Robert Anderson's work. I'm going to rely on someone else because I'm really just going to read it word for word because the amount of research he put into this and the amount of days and the calculations, even applying leap years to get down to it, it's pretty staggering. So let me just read the summary. The 70 weeks of Daniel, as understood by Sir Robert Anderson in The Coming Prince. Daniel 9.24 says that from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah, there will be 483 years. And this is how they get to it. 7 plus 62 weeks equals 69 groups of 7 years. 7 times 69 equals 483 years. Anderson understood a prophetic year as 360 days. This is based both on ancient history and on Revelation 11.2, 13.5, 11.5, and 12.6, which incite that 42 months equals three and a half years, or equal to 1,260 days. Therefore, 483 years times 360 days equals 173,880 days. Artaxerxes started his reign at 465 BC. The decree to rebuild Jerusalem was given on the first day of Nisan and the 20th year of Artaxerxes. In our calendar system, the Julian calendar, that date is March 14th, 445 BC, Nehemiah 2.1. Jesus started his ministry in the 15th year of Tiberius. See Luke 3.1. Tiberius started his reign in A.D. 14. So Jesus' ministry started in A.D. 29. Anderson believed that Jesus celebrated four Passovers during his ministry, one each in A.D. 29, 30, and 31, and his final Passover in A.D. 32. With the help of lunar charts, we can calculate the exact date of the ancient Passover, so it's possible to calculate the exact day of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem as April 6, A.D. 32. From 446 B.C. to A.D. 32, there are 476 years on the Julian calendar, not 477, because there is no year zero. 476 years times 365 days equals 173,740 days. Adjusting for the difference between March 14th and April 6th adds 24 days. Adjusting for leap years over a period of 476 years adds 116 days. The total number of days between March 14th, 446 B.C. to April 6th, A.D. 32 173,740 plus 24 plus 116 equals 173,880 days. According to his calendar, Daniel told us there would be 173,880 days between the decree and the arrival of the Messiah, the Prince. Jesus said, according to the Jews of his day, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. Luke 19.42 David said of this day in Psalm 118.24, This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I mean, this is freaky accurate. 
and it took a man in our modern era or just prior to it to figure this out. And God gave it in a riddle before it even happened. It's endless the mind and wonder of our Lord. We end this episode with what happens in the physical, I would say soon after Daniel's prayer and then Daniel's encounter with Gabriel. According to Josephus, Cyrus was made aware of the prophecies about the Jews. Now this probably occurred, this probably event happened by Daniel speaking to Cyrus. Um, He's the most probable person to do it. And imagine the moment when Cyrus was told the words about him by the, the words spoken over Cyrus by Isaiah. The Spirit must have confirmed these words because he was moved to do great things even before Daniel's death. Cyrus would live another six years and he would make a revolutionary decision. And it's interesting how the book of Daniel never mentions this, but it's Second Chronicles and the book of Ezra which would recall, recall the decree of Cyrus. Second Chronicles 36, 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred upon the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he's charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among all of his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. The exile is over. Daniel's next assignment would be to prepare his people for the move back to Israel. The Jews were free, and not only free, they were encouraged and fully funded by Cyrus and Daniel. We'll cover the caravan trip back and the resettlement on a future podcast. Yet Daniel, probably considering his life complete upon this news, yet still he has more history to tell. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.